Hi, this is Jonathan Mickles with the Strategic Multifamily Investing Podcast. Uh, and I'm here with Chris Salerno. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing phenomenal. It's a great day here in Charlotte. Very excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. So uh, you are a seasoned operator. You've got some some uh, some stuff under your belt. And that's the reason why we, we reached out to you. We wanted to uh, talk with seasoned operators and kind of hear their story, how they kind of got started. Um, and just any any additional advice that you may have. So how did you get into, involved with multifamily in the first place? Yeah, great question. And um, I always love when I, um, I get this question. So how I even got started uh, in the business of multifamily, uh, I started out in single family space. Um, I created a, a, a residential brokerage company that was affiliated with Keller Williams. I grew that company and I merged that company with the number one team in the Carolinas. Uh, with Keller Williams. When I did the merger, the company was around 94 million in annual sales. They were stagnant for three years about that. Uh, and I was able to bring them to 147 million and uh, just in about a year and a half. After doing that, I really realized that, uh, that it's always a hustle um, and that you really don't build wealth brokering real estate. So I started studying the 08 market and I noticed that multifamily was the strongest asset class. It recovered the quickest, but I went back to a game we played when we were younger called Monopoly. And I realized you don't broker real estate in the game Monopoly. You have to own the real estate and you build wealth. Uh, and then eventually you win the game. So uh, I very quickly, I started educating myself, listening to podcasts like yours, podcasts like ours, the mindful multifamily show. Um, and then I came across a podcast um, and, um, and I believe in laws of attraction. I went to a meetup locally here and funny story. I, I wore a three piece suit because I thought I was walking into a Blackstone meeting to talk about multifamily investing and, uh, come to find out everyone's in flip flop shorts and a t-shirt. And yep. I thought I was in the wrong spot, but I wasn't. <laughs> um, and I met a gentleman who, uh, who got coached by Joe Fairless. And I never knew Joe Fairless coached at all. Mm. So I, uh, I was able to get on a multiple phone calls with him and I joined his, pro, uh, his private mentorship group. And I started scaling the business very quickly after that. Uh, within seven months, acquired a little over 40 million and 364 units. And then from there, uh, we, uh, within two years, were over 50 million and 500 units. Wow. Uh, very, very, very quickly and strategically. And now this year, our goal is minimum four deals, a hundred million assets under management. So, wow. So that's, that's significant. So let's go back for everybody else who may not know who Joe Fairless is. And if you're in the multifamily space, you know who he is already. Oh yeah. Who is Joe Fairless and, and why was he a mentor that you decided to pick? I mean, there's so many that are out here. There's a ton out there. And I actually thought about creating my own program as well. I've had some people actually pay me and I, I am doing one-on-one -on -one mentorship with them. Uh, and the reason why I, I, uh, I uh, connected with Joe is because all these other mentorship groups, you have, they, you have to go to one of their coaches. And, and I did not want that. Um, I used to coach in the residential industry and now I'm opening just like a one-on-one -on -one in the multifamily industry. Um, but that's why I picked Joe is that we were one-on-one. -on -one. I can text them right now and they'll text me back. And that's why I love it um, is that one-on-one -on -one relationship we, ha we have together, not only in business, but in personal. I call them with some personal stuff and, and we talk personal life too. 
Um, and that's why I wanted him and honored to be in his group and honored to be a part of uh, him as well. And, and very excited where the future, uh, what the future holds for the both of us. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that, that's just fantastic. You can actually touch and feel, you yeah. know, the person and it's not just. And that's why we invest in real estate. So okay. we can touch and feel and it's present, not the stock market, because you're not going to Apple's CEO and told him you bought two shares of his company and you want to talk to him. It's not going to happen. I got you. You, so, but, but you started investing in multifamily real estate after doing some some coaching with Joe. But I mean, did you have your own money? I mean, you growing the organization from thirty seven million, I believe, to one hundred and forty seven million. That's that's quite a feat. So I'm pretty sure you had some some reserve cash, or were you kind of just you know starting starting out on your own on 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 this doing some. Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah, started out on the own. And the big thing to note as well is that even though, you know, his program is extremely helpful, it's not handholding. And I, and I didn't want it to be handholding. Some of these programs are handholding and, and you should not want that. You should want something that is really uh, all up to you and you have to put your work ethic into it and, and your mindset to grow the business. Um, so it's not all a handholding type of uh, business that, uh, or program that he has. Um, and on top of that, um, to answer your question, uh, I got into it with some capital, but I dump all my capital into my company. Uh, and my employees will tell you that um, I, don't, I don't take a profit from uh, QC Capital. I don't want to take a profit uh, because I'm pouring it all back into the company and I want the company to succeed and grow. Um, and that's what I did when we first got started. I poured all my time, effort and capital into the company. So then, so then you don't get paid from any of the deals that you do right now, or if you don't, I dump it all back into the company. Wow. Okay. All right. So then you're, you're operating on a shoot. So, so you're working at McDonald's or something. No, just just, God, no, God. <laughs> I, do, I, I don't know. Uh, I, just, I, 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 I'm very, I'm very good with money or I would like to say I am because I can do what I do and I operate, you know, what I've operated. You draw, uh, you draw a salary from, from, from the business. And then of course the profit. I draw a very minimum salary. I'm the lowest paid person in the whole uh, company. I'm the lowest. And even my, my right-hand person said, uh, said, uh, Chris, I don't feel comfortable with you getting paid that much. And I said, I don't care what you feel comfortable with. I'm getting paid that because I'm dumping everything back into it. And even though what I get paid, I'm dumping back into it. Um, but no, I was very strategic with the, with my capital and I bought some little businesses on the side that cash flow very, very well. There you go. Okay. I bought those businesses while I have any of my profits from my real estate just keep recirculating and reinvesting and, and re rebuilding the company while I live off these other little businesses that I own. Um, mm -hmm. And I did that now, you know, they, they don't, they don't, they make good money, but um, it's not where obviously not the money I, I would love to be making, but I'm growing that to make that much um, on a monthly basis. But all the money I make in, in QC capital gets recirculated back into it. Yeah, and I think um, what comes to mind is Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss mentioned, "Yep, yep, I know." Him. Hey, seventy five, seventy five thousand dollars a year is pretty much the strike point. Anything above that generally is considered extra. And so, if you're making that, or you know, they're about I'll only make thirty thousand from my company. Thirty thousand from his company, but yeah. again, his expenses are probably very low as well. He's got some other things. He probably owns. You probably own your house outright. You probably own your car outright. I actually don't. I rent my house. 
Enter. I don't want to. I don't want to own. I That's don't want to own. Okay. All right. Now, now, uh, why, why rent your house instead of owning your house? Because it doesn't make sense right now. Even though interest rates are low, it doesn't make sense because yeah. I'm not. I'm not wanting to be locked down in one place. And yeah. whoever bought. And I. I used to sell people uh, houses. Exactly. And, yeah, and, right. and I sat at that closing table. Yeah. And I bought. I have one single family rental. I can't stand. Um, but I, I sat at that closing table and I looked at that document that was this big about yeah. an inch big. And yeah. I looked at the very back on th a 30 year mortgage, how much the bank made. I didn't care how much they paid out um, or how much I paid out when I bought a single family. I looked how much the bank made and I said, dang, they're in the best business. Holy cow. But you're paying um, that interest, aren't you, in, in doing your renting? I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm a realtor and I'm playing devil's advocate. I know, play that devil's advocate. Well, Jonathan, <laughs> how, how many times will some, uh, over that span, Mm -hmm. of, uh, of depending on where you live, taxes too. South yeah. Carolina, they're doubled uh, or um, excuse me, they're at 3%. So they're low, but let's go back to, um, I mean, 2%. Let's go back to, uh, to any issues that happen over that one year. What happens? Okay. How many issues do you think can happen? Just a couple here and there. Nothing really happens, you know, in that first So year. The, the beautiful townhouse I live in, three bedroom, two and a half bathroom, gas range. I mean, I love it. Fireplace, all that fun stuff. Sure. HVAC, well, I've already had to put in work, work orders for the HVAC. And, the, and it's only a, a seven-year-old property. Uh, put in work orders for the HVAC. Uh, they've already had, we've had some plumbing leaks. I've had to already call out yeah. uh, for plumbing leaks. Um, little things like that where I don't have to pay those expenses. But if you, and I, I, there's a formula out there. Like if, if it's like 15% more mm -hmm. than the average rent or something. Someone's told me that before. I can't recall. But. Or it doesn't make sense. to stay in the home for very long. I mean, you and I don't plan. I don't. I don't. I right now in my life, even though I have a, a 13 month old and, and a family, I am not wanting to be set in stone in that area. Got it. Um, I don't want to be locked in because to me, I love the condo lifestyle, uh, and and I'm trying to push to get to that lifestyle. But it's very, you know, with a significant other, uh, she's not wanting to. So, you know, happy life, happy wife, they say. There you go. There you um, go. But, um, but when it comes to overall location, I don't want to be tied down right now. I understand that. And I, that, I think that right there is the, the preeminent decision, in my opinion, if somebody is, you know, thinking about buying or renting, how long do you plan to be in the area? I mean, if you don't plan to be in the area, maybe a year or two, because you don't know what's going to really happen, then probably renting is probably the better thing for and you. And could I buy the place I'm in? I could. Could sure. my monthly payments be 12, 1300? I could. I also do have a home office that I write off. Yeah. So, uh, so it knocks it basically down to that. Yeah. I don't so want to pay the HOA dues. God almighty. So if you add, I forgot about that. If you add the HOA dues, they're probably mm -hmm. only making a hundred, two hundred dollars profit off me. I don't care. What is that? That's a, a couple grand a year. Well, they're close to break even because of what's happened. So, I got you. But I guess the thought is, well, you'll at least have it. If something happens, you can come back to it. But again, you know where you are in your life. That doesn't. That doesn't. That doesn't line up with you. But thank you yeah. for giving us that. That sure. Oh, always. So, so right now, where are your properties? You you said you're at about five hundred properties right mm -hmm. now. And uh, where, where are they located? Um, one in Charlotte, three out in Greenville, South Carolina. And we're looking heavily to, to acquire uh, another deal here in the Carolinas this year, this first quarter. Okay. Okay. And so you're, well, 
we'll get what are your what are your thoughts in terms of specifications what are you looking for we're looking for assets between 1990 and 2017 uh that's our main focus um 100 plus units uh primarily b uh a core plus a assets now we talked a little bit you know prior to this conversation about you doing some property management and you know you pretty much do all outsource property management why did you make that decision we made that decision uh, decision because I want to grow the company uh, with acquisitions and deals. Uh, it makes sense uh, once you have a certain amount of units on, under your under your management to then go ahead and um, to bring property management in the house. Uh, it makes that uh, you know you have to do it at the right time. Uh, it's not always good to grow everything at once. Right. So are you doing more syndication deals or are you doing JV deals? What, what kinds of things are you, you doing right now? Right now, more syndication deals, uh, but we're always open to JV partnerships and we'd be willing to do a JV partnership as well. So yeah. it just all depends. And one, it has to be a win-win for all the partners that are involved. And then two, it has to be a win-win for uh, the, uh, the, the partnership of the JV team uh, and, and GP team. And so looking at your, your uh, website, you're pretty much focused on the Southeast right now and also yeah. Texas. Why, why focus on those areas? I mean, you know, there's a lot more of the United States is out there. A lot of people I know are going to Utah or they're in Arkansas or in Oklahoma. What, what, what's, what has you so bullish on uh, the Southeast? Well, if you look at where people moving to, it's the Carolinas, Florida, Georgia, uh, and Texas. Uh, those are the law, main states people are moving to, and it's, it's just going to keep growing. Um, so that's why I'm so bullish on it is because especially living here in Charlotte, Charlotte's the second biggest financial district in the United States after Manhattan. Not a lot of people know about that. It's, I mean, the growth that Charlotte, the Carolinas, Texas, Georgia, Atlanta, and Florida markets are seeing right now is this, it's just unbelievable, but that's because all the jobs are moving there, lower cost of living, taxes are cheap. They're getting a lot of tax incentives to get to those uh, to those states, and these larger companies that are moving there are going to have uh, jobs ready to go for more more people uh, to to get employed. Um, so that's just going to boost the housing industry. That's going to boost the rental industry. Um, so th that's why we love the Carolinas and the Southeast. So then my question becomes, you know. Where are you getting your information from that this is where people are moving? Because, you know, census data, hopefully 2020 census will be out in March, but, you know, the census data from 2010, et cetera, it, are you getting that data from there or? God, no, 2010's out. No, go I mean, to U-Haul. I, I don't know. Go to, yeah. to U-Haul. U-Haul is a huge company and, and they pour out data all the time. They just poured out a, an article that I read um, on where people are moving to. It's mainly Texas right now, but where people are moving to. Um, I'm always looking and reading of, you know, where people are moving to, where are they migrating, what cities, uh, what's the population. Um, just last year alone, 338,000 people um, have moved to the state of Texas. Last year, 338,000. North Carolina, I think, was 98,000. South Carolina was like 75 or 68,000. Um, so those right there, that's, those are great numbers, but it's good to be on top of that. So I'm always sourcing data from multiple sources yeah. uh, and reliable sources. Uh, and especially all these moving companies, they, 
they, they have tremendous amount of data of where people are moving to and where are they moving from. Now that's a, that's a gem right there. Cause I never thought about moving companies. I, you know, most of the times I talk with people, they talk about using Marcus and Millichap and, you know, other brokerage firms like that, who, you know, put out the, here are the hottest city, uh, cities, the highest yeah. cities to, to, to go in. So um, also city data. Some people use that. Yeah, as a, I've heard of that. Yep. Another source of uh, being able to find that kind of information. For sure. What was one of say the biggest uh, mistakes that you had when you were uh, starting out your business? What, what was one of the biggest mistakes that you wish that you had not done? Um, biggest mistakes, huh? Um, there's a lot of them, but one that I could think of um, is, um, is maybe jumping the gun too quickly. And does that come with an experience probably? Now, uh, jumping the gun, what, what does that mean? mean making decisions faster than you need to interesting okay so sometimes people make decisions very quickly without analyzing okay now we i haven't done that on a deal i i take i i have a extreme amount of patience um and and we analyze deals and it all comes down to the numbers um and if it doesn't make sense we will not move forward with them um so i i i mean with partnerships Mm. that's what i mean is JV partnerships, you knowing someone or thinking, you know, someone and getting into that partnership and realizing, Oh, you know, it's not all meant, you know, all cooked up. Like it's, it was told to you. Um, their work ethic was really not what you thought it was. So now you're going to have to pull more weight on your shoulders. That's what I mean by, by jumping the gun and, and really, you know, making a, a quick decision on a type of partnership, not on a deal level, uh, we're very patient and, and uh, calm and, and we watch it very closely. But when it comes to a type of partnership like that, that's what, uh, that's what I mean. So then what's your process now for going through partnerships? And right now I know that we, we've kind of almost doubled our database, you know, in the last year. So, you know, we've, we've got people and we're calling, we're making calls and, you know, we're making some connections with people and, you know, we're getting kind of off the back or we're getting, yes, this person is somebody that I want to connect with. What is it that you look for and how do you process now those relationships so that you're securing the right people that you want to put in a GP or even an LP situation? Um, Securing those right, uh, you know, relationships is, is communication. It comes down to communicating. Uh, and setting expectations up front, um, especially with partners on the GP side, um, setting those expectations up front and communicating with them. So we're all on the same page, making sure it's in writing uh, is, is, helps tremendously. And I, I highly recommend doing that. Uh, when it comes to the LP side, uh, as an LP investor, it's, it's, it goes back to communication as well. They're going to want to know that you're communicating with them, that they feel comfortable in investing alongside of you. Um, and I think, uh, you know, having a, a great uh, system in place to make sure you're communicating good and bad to them helps tremendously. So then question, when you mentioned in writing, are you advocate for NDAs? Because some people say, I don't sign NDAs um, when you're trying to talk about, you know, a particular relationship or deal or having some things written out? Or are you specifically talking about relying on the uh, purchase sale agreement, the PSA? uh, in order to ink the, the relationship between the general partners. So how, how are you, you said, get it in writing. What do you mean by that? Um, well, get it in a contract form. You necessarily, you don't need it, uh, as an NDA. If you're, if I'm presenting a deal, like 
I have some family offices we, we have relationships with. And if I'm presenting a deal to those family offices, I have them sign an NDA so they don't go behind me to try to get that deal. Um, and they're okay with that because I've already built a relationship with them and they know that I'm going to be sending it to them. Uh, and, and that's how it's going to be. Uh, when it comes to like a partnership, I think all partnerships need to have uh, agreements between each other, knowing, you know, what their guidelines are, what their duties are, what we expect of each other. Because so is that the PSA for you? You know, the purchase? No, of- no, definitely not the PSA. The PSA I'm, just, is- I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. Oh, like- no, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. PSA is just between the seller and us. The partnership, for example, if you and I decided to partner on a deal, I want a contract between you and I. Um, I want to make sure that you're holding up your end of the bargain and same, same as myself. And, and we have something to rely on that. If you decide to maybe get married to someone who you, who's a terrible person and, yeah. and you get a divorce and now that your, your ex-wife comes to me and says, well, now I own half of this. I'm like, well, who are you? <laughs> you know, exactly. no, you don't. Right. Uh, you're not taking control. You're not trying to manage it. Or, you know, if, what happens if you die? Right. Uh, we need an agreement between us specifically saying if you pass away or, you know, if, if something happens, if you get addicted to alcohol, you mm-hmm. know, uh, I need to take full control, you know. And, and so those are very important between JV partners, GPs, that, that you all have a GP agreement, JV agreement, uh, operating agreement just within that one entity of all the GPs. Uh, so we all know your, your roles, your titles, uh, what you expect from each other and how things are going to operate. Got it. And so that's inked at the time that you guys decide you're going after that particular property or uh, are you doing something before then? Because say you have an LLC, I have an LLC, should we do a partnership now? You know, partnership agreement now? Or is it do we wait for a particular deal before we're, we're inking that? Just timing is where I'm at. Um, I would say, you know, I, I would do it on a deal by deal specifics because in that JV agreement, it's, you would uh, specify that property. Um, because you know, you, you may not want to do JV, JV partnerships with that person for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would wait, I would wait to really, you have that deal by deal, uh, and on that deal, then you go ahead and say, look, here, here's, here's, uh, a, a JV agreement between us on this particular deal. Got it. So I know that, um, are there any, any, any new trends that you're seeing? Cause I know that some people are talking about some of the newer trends that they're seeing in, in multifamily. Are you specifically strictly BC or are you looking at A properties or? We look at B and A, we don't look at C. We used to, we don't anymore. Um, my opinion, um, the, the demographic of employers um, are, are, are very strong during that 1990 and 2017, uh, that those type of employers employ uh, individuals that like to live in those type of, uh, or like to live in, in those type of properties and those type of properties, uh, are going to be extremely stronger during this COVID. And who knows, there's another $1.9 trillion stimulus bill that's supposed to be passed any day now or any week now. And that has an eviction memorandum into September of 2021. Those are important. Yeah. Yeah. That's very important. I knew that it was extended at least another month or so for Towards this the end of this month. Yeah, it's extended, but uh, but it's supposed to be till yeah, it's supposed to be till September. What happens if it's September? Those C properties may take a pretty big hit. Well, there's also a lot of provision. So so I, this is very interesting because I was having another conversation with another operator because yeah. I um yeah. 
there is, I think there are two sets of people that are saying, hey, the sky is falling, right? And then the other ones are saying, no, we're collecting rents at 90%. You know, everything is right with the world. But the question is, where is that money coming from, you know, where you're actually collecting? And I think some of that is a part of the stimulus bill as well, because there'll be extra money given for people who, who are in an unemployment. And then there is money also given to nonprofit organizations, if I'm not mistaken, that also provide rent assistance or even mortgage assistance for those who own houses. And so with that, people are able to get additional money to be able to pay uh, pay the rents and everything. If so, they're willing to. They're willing if to. they're willing to. Well, I, a lot of people aren't willing to, a lot of people aren't willing to take those steps. That's why we've been proactive with our property managers to, to okay. help them and guide them and say, look, this is what you need for this um, uh, nonprofit or this uh, grant. Here's the link. All you have to do is fill it out. You know, and, and we try okay, to stay on top so, of it. So are, how we, now, how are you communicating that? Now we were talking about putting it in a, in a newsletter of sorts. Are you doing that? You're putting it in a newsletter or? How are you? No, physical letters at their front door. Oh, okay. And then to say, if you need help, here are the people, here's the places you yeah. can go get this together and, and make it happen. Oh, for sure. Right. So because the, this stimulus bill and all that next $1,400, we don't know if they're going to use that to pay rent. We hope they do. But right. what a lot of these, a lot of these tenants know, don't know, um, a lot of these tenants don't know is... Um, is that uh, is that um, even if they stop paying rent, they think they're covered by this uh, uh, memorandum? Mm -hmm. It's going to hurt their credit score, and and it's going to get turned over to collections. It's always going to be on their credit score. They're always going to have to owe that money. And what's going to happen is that they're not going to be able to rent anywhere else after this COVID stuff calms down. So better to try to find or get connected to. Heck yeah. Try and, to find grants, try to find resources out there for your tenants to pay you because we, I, I make sure our property manager, managers know uh, and tell our tenants, hey, um, you know, if, if you don't pay, we understand we're all, we're all hurting in, in our own ways, but if you don't pay, it, it's, it's going to get turned over collections. Your credit score will get hurt and you're not going to be able to rent anywhere else. Right. So in some uh, places like Texas, I've, I've heard, they still move forward with evictions if, again, it happens to be a situation where there's an extended time where people are not paying. I, I understand that some people had that had that happen in terms of operators, and, you know, they were happy about that, and some people like that because, again, they can get people to to pay, but, again, I think I, I applaud you and your uh, your management there to to at least try to help your tenants by making sure they have access to, to programs or know that there are programs out there that they can use to, to get access to that. And, you know, no one called, no one called COVID-19 on the phone and said, Hey, I want you to come hit America right now. Yeah. You know? So it was, it was an unprecedented time frame for all of us. It was historic because I don't know anyone that has lived through a actual shutdown of an economy. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know anyone, you know, except through COVID. So it was a very historical time frame, and you know, we we didn't we're not we didn't want it to happen. No one wanted it to happen. But uh, but if you're not willing to to take that extra step to apply for a grant or an assistance, you know, that tells us that you you really don't care about the property. You don't care about your other tenants, uh, and and we want to make sure the the right people um, are in our properties. Uh, for the right community. 
And, right. and if you're just going to sit there because we're still having to pay our mortgage, no one's giving us assistance. Gotcha. Um, and so we want to make sure that uh, everyone's treated fairly. Well, there were some operators that were going and using the forbearance, right? Uh, you mm -hmm. guys didn't take that on or? Um, it, it, uh, if from what I, my understanding in the state of North Carolina, um, when that first rolled out, if you have a government backed loan, you're not allowed to. Oh, you're not allowed to do forbearance? No, from my understanding, from what our property manager told me on one of our properties. Okay. Um, and, and that's what we, we did not do a forbearance. Got it. So then your collections, are you in the 90s? Uh, our collections are high, uh, high 80s. High 80s. Okay. High 80s. Yeah. And well, if someone has, and, and we, we're analyzing a property too uh, right now and the, and the, the uh, broker and the seller is saying they're at 100% collections. That's a lie. I don't believe that. Yeah, Even I mean, COVID, <laughs> you're not at 100% collection. No, no. I mean, so with, with some of these people saying they're at 90s, I would still, I would still second guess them. I would, I would want to see it on paper and, right. and to actually see, okay, you're operating at over 90% collection rate, you know, because it's just so hard for me to believe. Every operator I talk to, they're high 70s, they're in their 80s on collections. Really? Okay. Yeah. Now, I know that some that I've talked to some where they're in the high 70s, 80s, maybe the first of the month, but they they get into the 90s by the end of the month because there are certain. That, that could be. Yeah. You know, people are on payment plans and things like that. I yeah. can understand that. Um, but I mean, I see it all over social media. 100 percent collections. I, I doubt that. Got it. No way. So you're very conservative in your in your estimation. You, and your you need to be. You need yeah. to be. So then you, you're not going to be in the C-class properties because that represents kind of a softening. And right now, economically, it doesn't work. Were you ever in C before or were you always We in were. It? Yeah, we were. Um, I just strongly feel and, and through the, the shift in our business, uh, wanting to go to a more institutionalized type of asset mm. uh, that, uh, that uh, institutions are going to look when we decide to sell between 1990s and 2017 at the moment. So, so you are looking to get uh, institutional backing or just to only sell to institutional? Both. Okay, got it. That makes sense. So have you thought about, you know, uh, kind of doing your own institution as it were in terms of getting HUD financing? So you do your Fannie Freddie and then you wait for a year and then get that 40 year loan through HUD. Is that not a strategy also? Um, we, we've thought about all options. And, and one thing I, I love about my team is that, uh, they know I'm an options type of person. So if you bring me an issue, give yeah. me five options to solve it. Um, and let's think of options and ways to, to accomplish it as a team. Um, so we've, we've seen all, all different types of scenarios right now. Our main, main goal is building deeper relationships with institutions and family offices and, and hopefully converting them into, uh, into a fund. Got it. Got it. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for uh, taking for sure. uh, this last segment is uh, giving us the boot, letting us know <laughs> what what tip or what piece of advice you would give to uh, our, our listeners or to us uh, about what they should do next uh, in the multifamily world. Yeah. So I would uh, I always say this number one thing is sit down with yourself and, and figure out what you want to do, figure out your goals. And, and once you figure out what, who you are, what you want to do, then, then now you can go ahead and figure out what you need to do to, to reach your goals uh, and, and to set goals. Uh, so I always, I always say that first, uh, number one being priority. After doing that, if you want to be an owner operator, 
uh, and you're a newbie, find an owner operator in your city uh, and, and ask if you can just shadow them. Uh, don't be a pain in their rear end. Ask if you can shadow them and get an idea uh, of, uh, of what they're doing. Uh, and then at the very end, ask to take them out to dinner and ask questions. That's okay. what I did when I first got in the business to gain all the knowledge very quickly to get to where the, uh, and, and to push to where the company's at currently. So, so that's even a, a good one also, because most, more than likely you won't be able to get a Fannie Freddie loan yourself. So a season. Correct. <laughs> and Freddie does not play around. Fannie's a lot nicer. Freddie, they're, 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 they're the uh, big bully on the block. Got it. Now, how do people get in contact with you? They want to reach out to you. They want to partner with you. How do they get in contact with you? Yeah, you can reach me directly at chris at qccapitalgroup.com. We also do have a closed Facebook group, which is the Mindful Multifamily Network. Feel free to jump in there. Uh, anyone who I interview on our podcast, which is the Mindful Multifamily Show, they're a member of that network. So you can network alongside them, other guest people. I think we're pushing uh, 1,300 people and counting very quickly. Uh, so go ahead and hop in on that group uh, where you can go ahead and, and grow your knowledge about multifamily investing. Perfect. Well, listen, Chris, thank you again for taking Yes, time. thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And if there's anything that we can do for you, please let us know. Will do. Take care.